You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Bear with me on my voice. I've, I've been struggling just a little bit this weekend, but if you'll bear with me, I'll get through it, I'm sure. Hopefully, hopefully I don't sound too hoarse uh, after preaching this morning at 9, but I'm ready to go. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew 5, if you would. Matthew chapter 5. We are in a part four of a series on the Beatitudes. And I'm having a blast. I love the series title. The Pursuit of Happiness. The Pursuit of Happiness. I want to make this statement about the Beatitudes before we get started. That the Beatitudes are given not to be kept in order to go to heaven. But rather the Beatitudes are given to help us live like a child of the king. Amen. If you here today are a follower of Jesus Christ, these beatitudes are a path to blessedness. We've been calling them the, the divine blueprint of God's path to real happiness. Because Jesus knows that's what the world is looking for. People want to know what it means to be blessed. I know that I do. I, I want God's blessing on my life. They want to be happy. Folks want to have meaning in life. And so what Jesus does is he starts out by saying in this famous Sermon on the Mount, I'm offering you happiness. I I desire to bless you. Blessed are they, he says over and over again. But his words are not exactly what they expected. So we've been looking at the first three guideposts in the pursuit of happiness In Matthew 5, beginning in verse 3, Scripture says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And then verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So the first three guideposts to happiness are brokenness, mourning, and meekness. You could tell that's not exactly what they expected to hear. And so today we're looking at a fourth beatitude. And a concept that I've entitled this morning, kind of a, just an interesting title to the message, but I think it'll make a lot more sense in just a few minutes. You are what you eat. You are what you eat. Look at this next verse, verse 6, the fourth guidepost on a pathway to happiness. Look at it on the screen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I love these other translations. The King James says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. They'll be filled. Uh, Eugene Peterson's paraphrase, you can tell I love these paraphrases. They just add such a personal touch to the text. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for food. He's food and drink in the best meal you've ever had. I love that. I took my secretary, Carrie, and her husband, Chris, because it was Carrie's birthday this past week. And she's the best secretary in the world. So thankful for Carrie and Chris. And so I took him out to my favorite restaurant, 501 Prime, and Chris ordered the pork chop. Now, if you've ever been to 501 and you've ever ordered the pork chop, one of the most exciting things to do is watch the face of the person who's getting the pork chop placed in front of them. Oh, it's amazing. 
I mean, just to watch their face, it, it just, it's like stunning, really. And all this barbecue sauce poured over the, the, the pork chop, and they've got like a peach compost on It's amazing. And I watched Chris eat that and enjoy every single bite. Because I want you to know one of the best meals you'll ever have is the pork chop at 501 Prime. But I got a better meal. And that meal, as you'll understand this morning as we look into this hungering and thirsting after righteousness, is the Lord Jesus Christ. When you have a spiritual hunger, Jesus is the best meal you'll ever have. I love J.B. Phillips' translation. Those who are hungry and thirsty for goodness, they will be fully satisfied. And then the New Living Translation, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. There seems to be a new diet that comes out just nearly every day. I mean, it's overwhelming how many times I see some sort of advertisement for a new diet. Ten ways to lose ten pounds, right? Or twenty ways to find the best natural foods. Everyone seems to know this, that you are what you eat. And so Jesus uses this metaphor And he applies it to our spiritual hunger and thirst. People are looking for something to satisfy. In 1987, U2, the famous rock band, wrote a song that rose to the top of the charts. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And then Rolling Stones in 1967, the first song that hit the top of the charts that the Rolling Stones ever sang, where I can't get no satisfaction. The world is looking for something to satisfy. Well, Jesus knows that. And so Jesus refers in this beatitude to the basic needs of man. And the basic needs of man are hunger and thirst. Food and water are not luxuries. Food and water are necessities, right? Sometimes I get hungry and I don't know what I'm hungry for. I wake up in the middle of the night or maybe right before I go to bed. It's really more, I'm more prone to do it right before I go to bed. I'm like, man, I want something to eat. So I, I, anybody ever do this? I walk up to the refrigerator. We got the freezer on the bottom. So I open both doors of the fridge and I stand there. Doors are wide open. I'm just looking. I know I'm hungry. I just don't know exactly what I want. So I look up and down and see what's in there. And Usually my wife yells, why you got the fridge open, honey? <laughs> close the fridge. Make up your mind, you know. I can't make up my mind. I, close the, I go out to the pantry. And I, I know I'm hungry for something. Anybody ever do that? You know, just can't figure it out. Yeah. Jesus says that having a spiritual hunger is a good thing. Nothing wrong with being hungry. It's one of the eight keys to having God's blessings on your life. And so again in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And so with the food metaphor in mind this morning, according to the Scriptures, I'd like you to consider three spiritually healthy eating principles. We're going to use a lot of, of the word today because... It's, it's amazing how much of God's Word refers to hungering and thirsting and bread and water. So number one, I want you to see this. 
If you're going to have a healthy eating diet, a healthy eating life, you've got to first of all consider the goal. Check your goal. You've got to have the right, here it is, desire. Look at the first part of the verse. Just the first part. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst. To eat healthy, you must start with a goal. You must have some sort of goal. A lot of people have weight loss goals when they consider how they're going to eat. Others have weight gain goals when they consider how they're going to eat. <clears throat> Others have, I had somebody tell me today, hey, pray for me, Pastor. I got some tests this, uh, this week uh, to lower my cholesterol. And they said, I need to change my diet. I get it. Your, your diet's going to include some different things so you can lower your cholesterol or maybe lower your blood pressure. But nothing happens until you have a desire. Nothing is accomplished until you have a desire, a hunger, a thirst. So what does it mean to hunger and thirst in the context of this beatitude? It speaks here of an intense desire. We sang a moment ago, the more I know you, the more I want to, I just can't get enough. I just can't get enough. It speaks of a driving pursuit. Hunger in your life drives the decisions of your life. That's why you have to be careful what you eat. Because your hunger affects your decisions. You're more vulnerable when you're hungry. Jesus in Luke chapter 4, coming out off of 40 days of fasting and the devil comes to him and, and tempts him at that time. Why? He was more vulnerable. And the devil says, take these stones and turn them into bread. In our vulnerable moments when we're hungry, <clears throat> there's usually an intense desire. What is your intense desire this morning? Because we have some hungers that we talk about, but we also have hungers that we don't talk about. Some hunger and thirst for power. Some hunger and thirst for success. Others hunger and thirst for prosperity. So here's the question I want to ask you this morning. What do you hunger and what do you thirst for? We, had a, we have a guest preacher in chapel through the years of Champion Christian College. He pastored the first Nazarene church for over 25 years. Just retired. I went to his retirement ceremony a couple of weeks ago. His name's Ken Carney. If you were a champion student in chapel when Ken preached, you know he did this every single time. First of all, he knows how much college students need money. But second of all, he did it for an illustration. He, he'd take a $100 bill, a crisp, brand-new $100 bill out of his wallet, and he'd hold it up and say, the first student on this platform to get this $100 bill can have it. What happened next is, is mind-boggling. I mean, it was a stampede of youth. And here's a 70-year-old man putting his life in danger <clears throat> for the intense desire of a college student, you know. Now, what was interesting is a lot of kids never moved. They were, they, maybe they have a lot of money or maybe they were embarrassed. But they, they, they were definitely, there was no intense desire on some of their parts. But there were many that could not be stopped to get to that place. There are many strong desires that are perverted. There's many strong desires that we have that lead us to a wrong decision, down a bad path. 
Solomon spoke of power, of the power of desires in Proverbs chapter 18 in verse number 1 when he said this, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Here's someone who who is making a decision. He has an intense desire to do something that at the end of the day makes no sense. It breaks out against all sound judgment. It is his own desire. I want to give you four hungers and thirst in Scripture that lead sometimes to a, to a bad place. But they're evident in Scripture in different characters. Let me run through these with you real quick. Number one, there are those who are power hungry. I think the best example of this is no doubt Lucifer himself. One of God's most glorious creations. But Lucifer had a consuming, resolute ambition, a hunger, and a thirst. What was it? His ambition was to be like God. He was power hungry. In Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12, it says, How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, Lucifer, son of the dawn? How are you cut down to the ground? You who laid the nations low, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly I, in the far regions of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. We call those the four I wills of Satan. Because Satan had a consuming hunger. Satan had a consuming passion for power. He was power hungry. And God responds in the next verse, verse number 15, that he would not realize his ambition. God says, but you are brought down to hell to the far reaches of the pit. Then there's those that are praise hungry. I think a great example of that in Scripture might be King Nebuchadnezzar, one of the greatest kings in Scripture, the king of Babylon, the greatest of all the world empires. Nebuchadnezzar ruled a dominion of men, a number that was almost unfathomable. He had a strong desire. Nebuchadnezzar was praise hungry. He loved the praise of man. We see in Daniel 4.30, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Now listen to God's reaction to King Nebuchadnezzar's praising himself. Here it is. Next verse. While the words were still in the king's mouth, There fell a voice from heaven, O king, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven out from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the fields, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Lucifer, power hungry. King Nebuchadnezzar, praise hungry. And in both instances, in the same passage, we see that their ambition was never realized. It never took place. There was another individual who had ambition. He was called the rich fool. And he was possession hungry. He just wanted things. He couldn't get enough materialism. Look at it on the screen. It says, and he told them a parable. He said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. He thought to himself, What am I going to do? I've got so much stuff. I've got nowhere to put it. And so he says, I'll do this. 
I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. I'll store all my grain and my goods. I wasn't about to share anything with anybody. He was just going to pile them up. He wasn't going to share. He said, I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. So you can relax. You can eat. You can drink. And you can be, you can be merry. There's no question he had ambition. He was possession hungry. But notice what God said. Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? The rich man was possession hungry. King Nebuchadnezzar was praise hungry. Satan was power hungry. And then we see the prodigal son was pleasure hungry. Look at Luke chapter 15. It says, and not many days later, the younger son, remember the story of the prodigal son, he gathered all that he had. He took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. Pleasure, women, cars, food, fancy hotels. He just had a great time. And then he later realized after he came to himself, after he had fulfilled his ambition to just have pleasure. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread that I should perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. I will say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He was pleasure hungry. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2.1, come now. I'm going to give you a test. I'm going to test you with pleasure. So just enjoy yourself. But remember this. It's all vanity. You'll never find lasting satisfaction in pleasure. The Bible says no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. The Bible says no matter how much we hear, we are never satisfied. Proverbs 27 verse 20 says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, and never satisfied are the eyes of man. Never satisfied. There's plenty of people who have ambition. There's plenty that have desire. And many have desire for these things, for praise, for power, for possessions, and for pleasure. And we see in our society today that we are what we eat. I mean, we can see it in real time. So what are we, the church of God, what are the people of God hungry for? They were hungry for the wrong thing. And yet I wonder today, even In this place, if you and I are often filling up on things in this world that just don't satisfy. And as a result of that, they take away our spiritual hunger. And so we need to stop eating spiritual junk food. So many times we correct our kids for eating junk before the good meal, right? Quit eating the chips, quit eating the candy, quit eating the snacks. We're about to have an amazing meal. Stop eating junk food. Isaiah 55 said it best, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, come. And he who has no money, don't worry, come, buy, eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. 
So often we waste our time and money on things of the world that really don't satisfy. We fill up on substitutes. We fill up on TV. We fill up. We watch an enormous amount. Of, I didn't look up the stats, but statistics say that oftentimes Americans will sit hours in front of a television and just fill up on documentaries and fill up on Netflix and we fill up on the internet. And some of those things that we watch on the internet are desires we really don't want to talk about. They're passions we really don't want to share with anybody. And sometimes it's just getting the wrong counsel. We just talk to people all the time and we're not seeking godly counsel. Or maybe it's sports. That gets real for me, right? I mean, sometimes, gentlemen, we can just fill ourselves up with sports. Then when the things of God are spoken about, we wonder why we're not hungry for the things of God. Because we're filled up on other things. And what Jesus is saying here when he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. He's saying, check your goal. What's your desire? Check that first. Then secondly, crave the good. Crave the good. What do you crave? Bad or good? Crave the good. What is your diet? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. The word righteousness, what a word. We're going to dive into that word in just a moment. Just as your physical body has a natural desire for food and water, your spiritual body, your soul is also hungry. Our physical bodies, our physical life depends on food and water, but our spiritual life depends on righteousness. We have spiritual hunger inside of us. You know how I know it? Because I hear stuff like this all the time. Hey, pastor, man, just pray for me. My life is just empty. That's a spiritual hunger statement. You're looking for satisfaction. You're looking to be fulfilled maybe in other ways. But the fact that your life is empty means you're hungry for something. It's God. Someone says something is missing in my life. I hear that often. Or there must be more to life than this. Right, pastor? Got to be more than this. I'm just so restless. I can't seem to find just contentment. If you have never started a relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll never be satisfied until you get God's righteousness. You'll never. If you're here this morning and you've never started a relationship with Jesus, may I recommend to you that's where it all begins, in a relationship, not in going to church, not in baptism, not even in following some sort of a biblical, uh, you know, guideline to happiness, like reading your Bible or praying. It starts with a relationship, receiving the righteousness of God. But if you are a Christian and you're trying to find satisfaction in worldly things, you as well will never be satisfied. That's why we sang a moment ago, accurately for the believer, the more I know God, the more I want to know God, I just can't get enough. Jesus says the pursuit of happiness requires, get this, it requires it. This is the Beatitudes. This is the attitude you and I ought to have. If you're going to be happy, it requires you hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So what is it? 
What is righteousness? It's a big word in the Bible. It's used literally hundreds and hundreds of times. We talk about some words like the word Christian that's only mentioned three times in the Bible, but the word righteous or righteousness is mentioned hundreds of times in Scripture. The Bible tells us that God is righteous. The Bible says that the Word of God is righteous. The Bible says that God loves righteousness. David said in 2 Samuel twenty two twenty one, The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. The Bible says that Noah was a righteous man. Scripture says Abraham was a righteous man. The Bible says that one day God is going to judge the world in righteousness. Job said in Job 29, 14, I put on righteousness. It, it actually, it clothed me. The Bible says that God made a covenant with Israel, which is righteous. The Bible says in the most famous Psalm, Psalm 23 in verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So what does it mean? Well, let's look at the Webster's Dictionary definition, which is by no means Bible. But, but look what he came up with. Mr. Webster said, it's morally good. It's following religions or moral laws. Purity of heart, conformity of heart and life to the divine law. It's nearly equivalent to holiness. What I want to do is just give you a very simple but accurate and biblical definition of righteousness. It's about two things. A relationship and a lifestyle. I want, I want to just focus on those two things. Righteousness is first of all about a relationship. Scholars would call this positional relationship. This has to do with salvation. Righteousness simply means being right with God. It's a relationship. It's Romans chapter 10 and verse number 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And I love the New Living Translation here. It's fascinating. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. God makes you right with himself through faith in him. You don't make yourself right. God makes yourself right. This is something God does for you. He makes us right with himself. It's called imputed righteousness. And in many Old Testament passages, righteousness is synonymous with salvation. It's about a relationship. Someone here this morning that wants to start a relationship with God and be made right with God gets God's righteousness. It's imputed to you. Number two, it's about a lifestyle. Scholars would call this practical righteousness or sanctification. <clears throat> righteousness simply means doing right for God. Doing right for God. It's a lifestyle. Listen to 1 John chapter 2 in verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Do you see that? It's a lifestyle. If you want to see if someone's born of God, just see if they practice righteousness. 
if they're practicing doing these things that Scripture is, is, is instructing us to do, becoming more like Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 says it in a, in a somewhat of a motivating way. Awake to righteousness. Wake up and sin not. 2 Timothy says, follow after it. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Righteousness means being right with God, and righteousness means living right for God. Think again with what Jesus said in our text. Blessed, blessed, happy, happy it says. Go to that next, yeah. Are those who hunger and thirst passionately. Remember, we said this is ambitious desire. I'm hungering, I'm thirsting for this. Righteousness, which is being right with God and living right for God. These will be blessed. They'll be satisfied. What are you hungering for? What are you thirsting for in life? What's your diet? What do you crave? What are you putting in? We are what we eat. Are you hungering for righteousness? When I was a young preacher, I attended camp like our kids are going to camp this week we we call it camp conference in st louis well we used to go to camp every summer as well and it was then that god used the preaching like he will this week in the lives of our young people he'll use the preaching in it in a really neat environment where they can be so sensitive to to hear the things of god when i was about 17 and they have this written in my, in my uh, the oldest Bible I, I have that I still use sometimes, it's my high school Bible. I still, I still have all my illustrations, all my stories, all my decisions. So in that Bible, I have this story that I wrote down when I was 17 that I heard a preacher tell. It's simple, but it had such an impression on me that I haven't been able to let it go since then. And that's why the song we sang a moment ago in worship, it really is this illustration. The more I know you, the more I want to, I just can't get enough. A young man went to an older preacher. And I was the young man then, now I'm the older preacher. But a young man went to the older preacher and said, Hey, I just, I want to know God more. I, I want to hunger and thirst after righteousness. Can you help me? And the old preacher said, Sure, son. <clears throat> Take a walk with me. They walked and had just general conversation. He said, You ever going to answer my question? He said, I'm about to. He said, let's go into the water. They walked into the little river there, and he thought he was going to baptize him. He said, well, I already him to baptize, but he thought maybe this would be cool. And he takes him and puts him under the water, but he holds him there. I mean, he holds him down. And the older preacher was much stronger than the younger preacher, and, uh, the younger man. And he holds him under that water till he's kicking. Bubbles are starting to come up. Every mama here is getting upset, right? Who's this guy think he is? About the time he's a, you can tell he's about to go limp, he lifts him up out of the water. And that young man screams and yells and fights. He says, you're crazy, man. What are you doing? I'm answering your question. You ask me how you can hunger and thirst for righteousness when you want it as bad as you can breathe. That's what it takes. You want God as much as you want breath. What a powerful and dramatic illustration to illustrate what Scripture is teaching us here. What do you crave? Crave the good. What's your diet spiritually? Righteousness should be your diet. 
Next, number three, and I'll be done. Connect with God. Connect with God. This is where the practical part of the message comes. This will be where I spend a few more minutes, if you will, this morning as we look at the delight of God. You know, I love it when we worship God, much of what is said or shared or prayed or sung on this platform has to do with delighting in God. That's why we want to take that time, 10 or 15 minutes before we open the Word, just to take Him in, breathe Him in, prepare our hearts to delight ourselves in Him. What is your real hunger in life? Listen, everyone here, listen to me. We are spiritual beings. And God made us to love Him. And God made us to know Him. And God made us to be loved by Him. And nothing can take the place of that. Nothing. We need to recognize that your real hunger in your spiritual being is your hunger for God Himself. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, how does God give us a hunger for himself? We're going to look at that in Deuteronomy. Because sometimes, God has to humble us so we'll have a hunger for him. He has to put us in a position where we'll be hungry for him. God sometimes has to make us. God has to allow things in our lives. What I'm trying to accomplish for the next few moments is that you don't get so upset when devastating things happen to you. God's got a plan. And usually when difficult situations happen, God's ultimate plan is for that to create a hunger in you. Look at it here with the children of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone. you got to realize this. God says, I want to make you know this. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. The purpose of the hunger here was to bring them to him. They had wandered in the desert for 40 years. They got hungry. God provided manna. And notice it says in the scripture, God let them get hungry. Do you see it? He says, and let you hunger. He let them get hungry so they would recognize their need for him, that they would depend on him. God lets you get hungry. He lets you, God allows problems in your life to get your attention so that you see your need for him. And then notice it says that God humbled them. He humbled you. Hungry people, humble people. A hungry man in the street doesn't care if you give him a nice plate, a napkin, and a fork. He doesn't care. He just says, give me food. Hunger pains are very motivating. Can I get an amen? Anybody ever have? uh, uh, Look, I've had daughter-in-laws that get pregnant, and they say this. They're hangry. Has anybody ever heard that? I think that's like code for... I'm angry and I'm hungry at the same time. But if you'll feed me, I'll be nice again. Am I, am I, am I close? Okay, just check it. Just make it sure. Hunger motivates. If you have a problem, I, I know this isn't going to be a popular statement, but I didn't come here to be popular. 
If you have a problem, congratulations. Pastor, what do you mean? God wants you to recognize your real hunger is to know him. Happy are the hungry. That's what he says here. Happy are the hungry. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Usually what that means is God is getting ready to do something amazing in your life. God responds to hunger. Look at Psalm chapter 107 and verse number 9. He satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul. He fills with good things. God doesn't fill and feed people who aren't hungry. He fills and feed people, feeds people who are hungry. Now notice this in Proverbs 12, 28. In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. In the path of righteousness. Righteousness is the road to life and the path to immortality. Look at it. In the path of righteousness is life. What does that mean? It means that when you're disconnected from God, you're not really living. You're just existing. Listen to me. If you're disconnected from God, you're not really living. He came to give you life. You're just existing. You're made by God. You're made for God. And until you understand that, life isn't going to make sense. So I'm so glad you're here. Because life can make sense again. He's looking for you to hunger and thirst after him. You know what life is really all about? Life is really all about getting to know God. Life is all about connecting to God. John 17 verse 3 says it like this. And this is eternal life that they know you. They know you. This is it. This is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The God who loves you and made you for a purpose wants to know you. How cool is that? That's amazing to me. Jesus is saying that you can tell a kingdom person. He's saying you can tell a follower of Jesus Christ. Here's how. They have a consuming ambition. Not for power. Not for pleasure. Not for praise. Not for possession. But for a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. John 8, 35 says this, or John 8, yes, Jesus said in them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. You know what we all need this morning beyond anything else, more than anything else? We need Jesus in our lives. To live, we need Jesus. He is the bread of life. Jesus is. In a physical sense, Sometimes we have a loss of appetite. Has anybody ever lost their appetite? You know what I'm talking about? You get sick. Like I've been a little under the weather the last couple of days. Just a little, not horrible, just enough to not be super hungry. I mean, like I've been satisfied with just a little bite here, a little bite there. That's not me. I love food. Man, I love to eat. It's my, my favorite meal of the day is dinner. I live for it. I can't wait to get home. I mean, I love it. Just to be transparent about food here since it's a metaphor in Scripture. I can't wait to get home. I ask my wife every day, what's for dinner? I know what we're eating today for lunch. I know it. I watched yesterday cooking it. I know who's cooking it. I know what we're having. We're having tri-tip with chimichurri sauce and carrots and rice and, well, 
Cucumbers, hallelujah. Anybody getting hungry? That's why I did that, by the way, to get you hungry. But I, <clears throat> I, I found myself at times sick and not hungry for anything. And I found it to be the same is true spiritually. That if you don't have a hunger to know God, if you're not thirsty to know God, you are sick spiritually. You're filling yourself up with junk food and you don't have any room for God. So we need to maintain a healthy appetite of, of being and doing what is right in the sight of God. So that we'll desire the things of God. Let me give you four ways in closing to know if we are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Are you ready for number one? Here it is. What's your level of fulfillment? What is your level of fulfillment? What is it that, <clears throat> what, what desire do you have to be fulfilled by God? Let me give you 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Look at this. It says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim as anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Oftentimes in church we sing songs like, Christ is all I need. Christ is enough for me. But do we really believe that? Is our sufficiency from God? Do you sense a constant need for God? Do you sense a constant dissatisfaction with self? That's the tough one. Because everybody loves themselves, right? Man, I love myself. Oh, it's easy to love self. So what happens is, I know what I'm doing. I know what's best for me. I've got a job. I want to do it my way. I tend, when I get this way, I tend not to pray about things. I tend not to seek the face of God as often as I should. I, I, I tend to spend my money maybe the way that I want to spend it. But when I, when my sufficiency is in Christ, I'm dissatisfied with my agenda. I'm dissatisfied with the way that I think things should be. I don't nearly trust myself without filtering it through God and prayer and the word and fasting, these kinds of things. What is your level of fulfillment? Have you become self-sufficient in yourself where you can kind of operate without others and without God? Be careful. Be careful. May we always be dissatisfied with self and satisfied with God. Number two, what's your focus in life? What is your focus in life? Look at Proverbs 15 and verse 14. It says, the heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge. Someone wants to know God, but the mouth of fools they feed on folly. If you're constantly feeding on something else instead of God, you're not going to have a real appetite for God. So we got to stop feeding on other things and learn to feed on God. If I'm always thinking about sports, I'm going to have a hard time thinking about God. If I'm always thinking about politics and world events, I may not be thinking about God very often. If I'm always making money, that's all I do. I probably won't have much of an appetite for God. If all I do is, is golf and do my hobbies and, and, and work and exercise, what are you hungry for? What are you feeding on? Because whatever you are hungry for is determining your destiny in life. Before I give you the third one, I want to show you something interesting on the screen that I, I thought about this week. It's interesting in the social media world that they call what you scroll through your feed. Think about it. What are you feeding on? 
I mean, they call it your feet, so we might as well use it as an example, right? We're talking about food. A social media feed is a chronological stream of content that users see when they log into their account on a social media platform. It typically includes posts, updates, videos, images, and other forms of media from the people and pages the user follows, as well as advertisements. A feed on Facebook is the same as other social media platforms. That is, a constant stream of content posted by the users you follow on Facebook. Here's number three. What's your desire to feed from the Word of God? Are you feeding more on Facebook or are you feeding more on the Word of God? And I'm just using Facebook's terminology. They gave me the idea. It's their fault. Check your feed. Are you feeding on Facebook? Do we spend more time on Facebook? It's just an honest question. I'm not even upset about it as much as I'm just asking you to think. That's it. This is a thinking message. I'm getting you to think about what are you hungry for? Because it's pretty clear here we got to be hungry for righteousness if we're going to be right with God and live right for God. Have you ever watched someone who is hungry finally get their food? Anybody ever done that? I, I had a friend. His name was James Manthe. He was Jeff Manthe's brother. Jeff, James was a great athlete. He's probably the best, one of the best players, if not the best player we've ever had a champion. And in, in, we retired his number. He's that good. Great player. Won two national championships with him being on the team. He's just good. But he could eat. And it was disgusting to sit next to him. It, it was disgusting. I had several people walk out of the church this morning after the first service and say, yeah, I remember that eating with James one time. It, it, I couldn't do it. I had to get up off the table. I mean, it's that bad. He gets so hungry, he plays a basketball game, and then the first thing he says is, where are we eating? And then he asks it like 15 times in a three-minute drive. When are we getting there? I'm starving. I want to eat. And so we get to Buffalo Wild Wings. I'll never forget this. I'm the bus driver. I'm always the bus driver. You know, I wish somebody else would be, but I am. So I drive the bus. <clears throat> we get to Buffalo Wild Wings, and I'm, I'm behind James. He orders 24 hot wings. I order eight. I know my fulfillment level. He gets 24 hot wings. He sits at the table. I sit next to James. What I see next is staggering. It's staggering. He begins to eat these hot wings ravenously, like like he's never eaten before. He's so hungry. It's going everywhere. The bones, the food, the, the sauce is like, it's, it's like all over his face, his hand. It's, it's unbelievable. So finally, and if you know me, I'm a confrontationalist. Like, I love to confront people. It's something I enjoy. I love it. So I, I say, James, that's disgusting. That is not good. I mean, you've got to, look, your hands, he goes, preacher, wait a minute. Why do you want me to wash my hands and my face? It's just going to get greasy again. Why don't, you, why don't I just finish and then I'll do it, you know? Kind of made sense to me, actually. <laughs> so I took the correction. And I watched that boy eat. I'm telling you, you can watch somebody who's hungry devour their food. Take a look at this verse. James chapter 15, verse 16. Your words were found and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy. And the delight of my heart. Wow. I, I wish I could love the word of God sometimes as much as I love food. 
I want to get there, don't you? Isn't that, isn't that a goal, a desire that we all have today? To delight with a great appetite for the Word of God. Because as you learn to hunger and thirst after righteousness, you will have such an appetite for the Word of God. You will devour it. And some days it's like that for me, and some days, sadly, it's not. And then finally, and I'll close, what do you find sweet in life? What do you find sweet? Anybody got a sweet tooth? All right, a few of us. I, I got a massive sweet tooth. Like, it's awful. It's bad. I mean, like, I love sweets. I love cheesecake. Amen. I love uh, ice cream. I love sweets. I want, you to read, I want you to read a verse with me. Proverbs 27, 7. It says this. A person who is full refuses honey, but even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. Question. Are only good things sweet to you? Think about it. Meditate on that verse for just a minute and ask yourself that question. Even bitter things are sweet to the hungry. When something devastating happens to you, is it still sweet? Can you still see how God allowed it to happen? I think about my daughter-in-law, Tiffany, who, whose husband died, her first husband died in a tragic car accident. And, and it's still difficult sometimes, and she there's emotions involved and she's given me permission to use this within reason right sweet but I've heard, I've heard her often say as devastating and as difficult as that was and it was God brought sweet Joe to her life if you know Joe you know he's as sweet as they come so a devastating thing turned into a sweet thing here's what I'm saying I want you to start looking at the difficulties in life and how God makes them sweet. Isn't it amazing? God, God can turn bitter into sweet. And that's what the, the Scripture is teaching here. Even bitter food tastes sweet to the hungry. Some people only rejoice when good things happen. Some people only rejoice when things are great in their life. But that's chasing happiness superficially. You can have God reprove you and correct you, and you can still be satisfied with God. You can have a deep trial or a difficulty in life and still be satisfied with God. Every bitter thing is sweet because God is in it. And God is working his purposes, and God is making us more righteous. When you're hungry for God, you'll find joy even in the trial. I love that old song, Like a River Glorious, 1876, 150 years old. Every joy or trial falleth from above, traced upon our dial by the Son of love. So we may, we may trust Him fully, all for us to do. They who trust Him wholly find Him holy too. So I'm stayed upon Jehovah. Hearts are fully blessed. And I'm finding, as he promised, perfect peace and rest. In closing, I want to just give you three stages in your life as we think about the response to the message. I think there are three stages in life. And the first one is, I want, I want God in my life. I just, I want God. And that's someone here today who has never been made right with God. You've never been saved. 
and you want God in your life. And I want to encourage you today to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. In a moment, we're going to give an invitation, a response time. We're going to sing one song. Uh, I'm going to be up front with an elder or two, and we're just going to wait and see what God does. And it's not about having to come down the aisle unless you're led to do that. You can make a decision in your seat. But we want to be available. That's all. We want to be available for those who need prayer. If you need prayer this morning in any way, if you need prayer, if you want to pray with someone about receiving Christ, if you want God in your life, I would love to introduce him to you. Number two, I think the second stage in life is I need God in my life. I need you, God. And oftentimes we get to that place where we really begin to need God in a difficult, a trial, a situation. And so we begin to need him to get us through. But I think the greatest stage of all is I've got to have God in my life because I can't make it without him. That is the hungering and thirst stage of life. That's what we're shooting for. Remember, you are what you eat. And your appetite will be influenced by your association. The Bible says in Proverbs in chapter number 4 or 2 and 20, so you will walk in the way of good and keep to the path of the righteous. That's speaking about people. Keep to the path of the righteous, the associations that you have. Could I plug real quick here today before we sing? Could I plug Lighthouses? Could I plug Ignite? Could I say, look, if you're a young adult, you need to be in that community of Ignite. If you're an adult at our church, you need to be in a lighthouse. If you're a young person, you need to be in Glow Up 501. You say, why? Because your associations are going to affect your appetite. I mean, if, if I were to say right now, talk about food again like I did, I would affect the whole audience. Everybody, when you talk about something, it affects who you're talking to. When we're talking about God, it affects who we're talking to. I, I'm trusting that right now that we're, we're in a good place to receive the word and we've come. We made the choice to be here today. You're in a good group. Please get involved in a lighthouse. Hang out with people who are hungry for God, and you'll be provoked to keep the path of the righteous. So if you need to be saved, you feel like God's calling you right now. God's calling you to be saved. I want to give you that opportunity. If you need to pray, you can pray. But we're going to close this service like we've closed every service in this series with a corporate prayer together. And I want you to stand with me. Let's say that together, and then we'll begin to sing, shall we? Pray this with me. God... I want you, I need you, and I must have you in my life. Father, this week, I pray a blessing on everyone here. I pray that we would sense your closeness, that we would realize how much you love us, that we would make knowing you the number one goal of our lives, and that we would stop feeding on spiritual and emotional junk food. Help us to get into God's word every day. Help us to get around people who put us on the path of righteousness rather than distracting and and detouring us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.